HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week on Meet and 3, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up, to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things. Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like uh, isolated at home. But uh, to see the people face to face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by Sombra Mezcal. Sombra Mezcal, where they've reimagined the entire process of making mezcal to reduce the impact on the environment. How do they do that? I guess you'll just have to stick around to the end of this episode to find out. In the meantime, strap yourself in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that tries to help gringo bartenders learn a little bit of something about agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. Because the more you know about your spirit, the better you drink it. <laughs> the better you drink it. I want to be better at drinking. So, okay, so we just did a whole episode about Catalina because like you found her interview that we had plumbed from the depths. You found it so fascinating. And there was the quote. And when we record this, we're not listening to the quote, right? It's off to the side and you're going to go, um, you're going to go, uh, interpret it to drop into the episode. So we didn't actually listen to it as we were talking about it. And I'm looking at my notes and realizing we missed a key freaking point, Chava. <laughs> we did. We did indeed miss it. How long did it take her? How long did it take her to learn how to make these spirits? Well, she claims the workshop that the community took to learn how to do agave spirits was 15 days, two weeks. 15 days, two weeks. You said claimed, which is funny because, you know, we've had this conversation before about the view of time uh, in rural Mexico. So are you saying that maybe it wasn't 15 days? Maybe what seemed like 15 days to her was actually a day? Well, I remind you something that also Catalina said to you when she was explaining the size of the biggest agave she, she, she had ever seen. She said it was <laughs> 20 kilograms. And I asked her, was that agave bigger than Lou? And she said, yeah, that was definitely bigger than Lou. And the last time I checked, you're bigger than 40 pounds. 
Well, parts of me aren't, but fair. That's fair. Most of my body parts would be more than 40 pounds, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, and also this happened a long time ago. Uh, I'll say Catalina this day is probably 45 years old. Uh, and she said that, that when that happened, what, she was around 28, that these kids that came to... That, that's the other fascinating thing for me, that the kids that came to teach the workshop, <laughs> they were anywhere between 21 to 25, and also when oh, we God. asked her, I hadn't, you know what? That's really interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. She didn't learn like, so maybe those kids had grown up in families that did this and maybe they just studied at technical school to learn how to distill. And for some reason, the technical school taught them how to utilize ancient uh, tools. Well, I think the probabilities are more heading to the side that they came from families that were related to mezcal making. Because they also chose immediately to use clay parts to the alembics. Oh. So that tells me that they definitely came, they did not come from an academic strict background because that was like no engineer will ever recommend steel, like clay steels to start with, right? So uh, they started in a technical school in Oaxaca named Icapet. Uh, there's plenty of jokes about that school. Uh, let's say it doesn't have the most robust reputation about the quality of studies there. I, uh, I don't either, though. So that's, you know, I'm not going to knock yeah, them yeah, for yeah. that. But you have some brilliant kids there that they have, you know, crafts and, and skills. And it seems like the government realized that there was a lot of agave in that area and they needed to do something about it. But crazy thing, too, that Catalina <laughs> mentioned... <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. They don't need to do so. Like, it's not like, oh my God, the agave is overrunning this part of the country. We need, right? It, it, it had to be viewed as here's an opportunity to leverage a resource so that these people get some money. Yes, but we're talking at the time where Mescal was such, and I say Mescal because nobody even thought about agave spirits. Sure. Mescal was such a taboo thing. And we're talking about this the other day, but when I was. 15, 16 years old, and we were starting to drink, if somebody said, oh, I like mezcal, you were like, do you like crystal meth too? Do you like some... <laughs> well, but but you... Was that... Was, hang on. Were you in Mexico City then? I was in Mexico City, yes. Okay. So, you know, there's always been that uh, that snobbery from the city to the country, right? But if And she said it was 20 or 25 years ago that she learned. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, twenty years. Let's let's uh... twenty years. So 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 that's going to put us right around two thousand. And if you think about Oaxaca getting the denomination of origin for mezcal in nineteen ninety four, right? They had to have seen the possibility of okay, this is going to take off, and we need to have more people making it. Yes, and that was. Oaxaca is also a place where people don't have a lot of commercial opportunities in the little towns. <laughs> You'll sure. say there's no, there's not a lot of like there's no factories. There's not a lot of jobs, job opportunities. So I think the government. You're, you're a farmer. You're a rancher. You have a little tienda. There's like one tienda, maybe two. Which is the best way little to store. be found. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think in New York, they call it bodegas. But uh, in <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's correct. Tienda is Spanish for bodega. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. But yeah, like, I, and I think that was not a wild guess. And I don't think that was a bad guess to think that mezcal could become the future of a community that had the perfect weather, the perfect perfect for conditions for agave and extras and extras of agave 
available for free if you want. Right on. So that's where it started. What is crazy is that she became so good at it so fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, to go back to that story, like one woman working six stills where you got to like literally she was at the stage where she was pulling the bagasso, the agave fiber out of the stills. Right? That's when we walked up on her. So she's clearing out the stills. Yeah. Oh lord. And that it was which crazy. Is- so, so are you going to call her and ask her a question? What question are you going to ask her? I am not. Well, I, w- I want to ask her what, how, a, how she doing because that's uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, you, it's polite. Yeah, that, that's a polite yeah. way to to address this. And then I, I want to ask her what were her specific. Uh, I, I don't want to use these words because I think they're silly, but innovations in the process. Like, what things did she realize? that what she was taught did not work and how did she tweak the process to fit her own taste her own necessities you know like i want that i i i want i want the her her way of uh, of going about this i like it el número AT&T que acabas de marcar se encuentra apagado o fuera del área de servicio por favor intenta más tarde gracias huh. okay well there's a shocker Somebody out in rural Mexico doesn't have doesn't have the best phone service in the world. Yeah, I wonder why. Well, thankfully, uh, you know, we've still got about 15 hours of interview. So why don't you plumb the depths of that interview and find another line from Catalina? Yeah, and this is one of my favorite ones, and you'll realize why. So here it goes. No nos dijeron, nada más nos dijeron que hay que hornearlo y todo, pero... They didn't tell us exactly how. They only told us that we had to cook it. But we had to go and ask a man that had a big idea of what to do. That way, we built a tiny palenque. After we put together all the materials, the men went to the fields to find the agave. We cooked it, fermented it, and started to get some mezcal. When we milled it the first time, we did it on the floor because we didn't have a canoa. We purchased the biggest canal we have right now, but we made the smaller one out of a sabino that was laying by the river. Great. Thank you, Catalina, again. And I think this is one of the things that I like the most about the agave spirits context, and I think it's what it makes it really diverse, is that learning it's not a very easy route. It's not like you go into YouTube and you get to see like all the tutorials on how the pros are making mezcal. There's all these, it's a little bit like finding legends. It's a lot of oral uh, communication and transversation of the information. And sometimes- But that's what YouTube is. I actually disagree with you. I think 100% it is YouTube. It's just YouTube live. Because you go to any of these people, they're going to have different things that they do. Right? Yeah. My takeaway from it is something completely different than that. And my takeaway is... Oh, Lord. Who the hell did you go to, Catalina? (laughs) These people that taught you how to do this aren't actually the ones who taught you how to do this. You said that nobody was using the agave for anything, but then you had a person to go to to teach you how to actually do it? Who's that person? Where was that person? Like, oh, this is part of what I love and what drives me mad about rural Mexico is trying to get a straight story. Yeah, but that's, I I think that's also what makes infinite rural Mexico. 
that and also like you can go there in two weeks and maybe the story is going to be a little bit different <laughs> and that's the whole difference between like western static history and you know the oral history that we've been carrying around in mexico and many other civilizations for a while so i i I mean, it's definitely a bummer when you're trying to do some professional work and you want... Oh, I but, uh, I, I wouldn't say a bummer. I just say it drives me mad. <laughs> I don't think it's a bummer. Like, you know, I, I look, I'm, I'm open to the idea that how the world looks to me is not how the world looks to everybody. And I, I think part of trying to figure your way in this world is trying to piece together the stuff that makes sense to you and then accept the stuff that doesn't make sense to you. And that's the maddening part. Mm. That that it just doesn't make sense to you and you cannot figure out why, like how. Yeah. I mean, my very good friends have been telling me what I would consider lies and they wouldn't consider lies. This is the time thing. And I like, I'm, I'm learning to accept that, but it drives me mad. Yeah. Like there, there, there's a lot of things that play a role in that. And I think there are also people that have been protecting themselves for a long time. They have lived in these extremely vulnerable situations when every time they're talking to a third party, they're calculating, like, mm, is this guy yeah. going to use this information yeah. to hurt me in some possible Fair. way? Is this guy going to go talk to the tax system? Fair. Is this guy going to talk to the Fair. government? Like, <laughs> But then once they try to talk to me in Spanish, they know I'm not talking to anybody. Well, they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> like, even English is louder voice these days. So, you know, they, they might know oh. that you'll, you're able to reach more people than them themselves. Uh, fair. Okay, I think we're at a wrap for the... Uh, we've spent two episodes talking about Catalina. Frankly, I think she could be a whole season. We could have the Catalina season. Um, I mean, I would love to do that, but I don't know if that's going to fly. Yeah, so let's let's wrap this, um, and, uh, and I'll see you in a few <laughs> seconds, Java. Let's do that, Lou. Bye-bye. This episode of Agave Road Trip has been brought to you by Sombra Mezcal. Sombra is an artisanal 100% Espadina Agave Mezcal handcrafted in Oaxaca. Each step of production from fermentation to distillation has been reimagined to reduce its environmental impact. So one of those elements, one of those steps, Chava, is the milling of the agave. Tell me how they mill their agave at Sombra. Well, you might know that Oaxaca is famous for being built with beautiful limestone, right? You go there and the churches are green and pink and beautiful. Oh. And a lot of that limestone comes from Mitla, which is like an hour away and it's very close to Matatlan, where they make this mezcal. So the Sombra guys went to Mitla, found one of these beautiful pink stones and chose it to mill their agave. And the result, it's a wonderfully milled, slightly infused with the, you know, tiny bits of salts and minerals of the stone agave. And I just really love it. You know, I do too. And the other thing I find fascinating about it is that whereas I'm used to seeing uh, animals pulling tojonas uh, it, at the palenque for sombra, instead they've got a little, a little like, I don't even, what would you call it? Like a little engine? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a little cart. A little cart connected to an engine that pulls the tauna round and round and round. And this is a very delicate process because if you motorize this tauna with a gas engine, you'll have all those fumes flying around, right, Lou? Oh, yeah. And you will affect your fermentation, affect everything. So what they decided is to go electric. And not only electric, they decided to go solar. 
So they took advantage of this sun that it's always available in Oaxaca, and that's what pulls that little Tahona. Ah, solar-powered Tahona for milling the agave. That's beautiful. Thank you for that, Chava. If you want to try that uh, that Sombra Mezcal, you can just go to sombramezcal.com, and you can order a bottle to be delivered to your home. Hang on, road trippers. We're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chat Fest coming up. I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And, and this, this is... Ch- what? Oh, we're going to say it together. Oh, are we? Say it, Lou. And this is Chava and Lou's Chat Fest. We're coming to chat you up, baby. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to do something like that. Go to your story, Lou, before we keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So to the point of religion, growing up Jewish in uh, rural Chicago, and by rural, I mean literally rural. My house was, uh, when we when we moved in there, was in the middle of a cornfield. Oh. Um, yeah. So it was very, very rural there. GMO corn, cornfield or it was like heritage blue corn cornfield? <laughs> this... <laughs> This was 19... God, we must have moved in there 1970. I don't think there was such a thing as GMO in 1970. That's what you've... Anyway, like... Okay. Anyway, that's... It's, <laughs> the story ain't the corn. The story is, like, there, like I think we were one of two Jewish families uh, almost the entire time that I grew up there from four years old to 18 years old. And and so I was, I was literally the only Jewish kid uh, in my class in first grade, and they were putting on... The school was putting on... As most schools do here in the USA, um, this Christmas pageant. And I really, I, I like, I, <laughs> we, we'd maybe, we'd maybe go to synagogue once a year for the high holidays, maybe. But I was so indignant that the school would throw a Christmas pageant <laughs> because, hey, not a, look at me. Little Jewish kid, not everybody celebrates Christmas. I was so <laughs> indignant. And uh, and so my te- and my teachers were always the best. The teachers, like they molly coddled me, Java. And so one teacher went to the extent of writing a special song just for me about Hanukkah, right? Like Hanukkah, Jewish holiday, right around Christmas, um, wrote a song for me, but like it sort of backfired on me. Like I was so indignant, but then I became the focus of attention for this song, and it was the world's longest song. Do you know what a Do you know what a menorah is, Chava? No, no, what the hell that is. Okay, so basic Hanukkah principle is: uh, Oh, look, they trashed our synagogue. But there's a little bit of oil. It should last one night, and we'll burn it to keep some light in here while we clean the place up. But the miracle, the Hanukkah miracle, is that the oil lasted eight nights, Chava. Eight nights. And so Hanukkah is an eight-night celebration. You guys know how to party. Like the, No. I, 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 th- I thought the Catholics were good at it. You do an eight-night celebration. Well, we no, just no. have like two. It, you know, the truth is, it's weird because, uh, you know, Jews, uh, well, we, we run Hollywood, and so we should know marketing, but the like the Christians, they got the marketing down. The Santa Claus guy, I mean, I know you're saying gringo, but Santa Claus is good marketing. Easter Bunny <laughs> is good marketing. Like, we've got an invisible guy that comes in our house and drinks wine once a year. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not good marketing. And and the whole, the whole concept of Hanukkah and eight days being good marketing is just wrong. It's like, oh, look, you've only got one day. We've got eight. You know, if you did three... That would seem like it's more. Eight is just, it's it's excess. But so so each night of Hanukkah, 
going back to that oil, right? It, yeah. To celebrate it, each night of Hanukkah, you light another candle. So the first night, you you light your shamus, which is like the king candle, that you and you light that, and then you use that to light each of the other candles. So first night, you light one candle. Second night, you light two candles. Third night, you light, right? It's like that. Hmm. So the song that this teacher wrote, and I, I'm sure she wrote it because I've never heard it since, was, on this night, let us light one little candle fire, tis a sight all so bright, one little candle fire. And the thing is, we did that for each of the eight no. candles over and over and over. And like my classmates were the eight candles, but I was the shamus. I was the guy who was walking over to each candle and lighting it. And then like two candles and then lighting three candles. I hated it. I, I never... <laughs> I never again complained Christmas pageant. Hey, Christmas pageant, great. I'd like to be a bush somewhere behind uh, behind the manger. Just keep me out of this spotlight. Really? Like, that doesn't sound at all like you, Lou. Like, you're usually trying to put yourself in the spotlight. Like, I'm an adult now. As a kid, I was super shy, Chava. Okay. Okay, so so you you bloomed into a spotlight flower <laughs> instead of a. <laughs> My quixote has fully blossomed now that I am an adult. But back then, all I wanted to do was curl up in a ball and hide. And not... I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be the shamus. Okay, well, I'm I'm happy for you now, Liv. I'm really happy for you. <laughs> Appreciate that, Java. Okay, I think we are done with the chat fest. Adios. Hasta pronto. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. A Gabby Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. A Gabby Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.